0: Would please turn in your bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. We are focusing and have been for a couple of weeks here on verses 20 through 28 in our study of this letter. I have a word of prayer and we'll read these verses and then we'll try to land right there and verse 24. Father, help us to worship in spirit and in truth. Father, as we sing these words, as we hear this music, Father, I pray that Your people have ears to hear and eyes to see. We are drawn to Your presence. We are drawn to your existence, your elegance, your exaltation, the amazement of being children of the Most High God. Father, please, please help us cut the clutter of this world from us. Help us to walk in a manner worthy. Help us to have ears to hear your word. Help our souls to long, to thirst for your words, your truth. Strengthen us in our weaknesses. And Father, overwhelm us individually and collectively with your presence. Father, help me to hear you from this text. Father, I pray that these precious souls will hear you in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning in verse twenty through twenty eight. Uh, text that I have kind of entitled The Resurrection Plan. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that, Those who are Christ at His coming, then comes the end when He hands over the kingdom to God and Father, when He has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all of His enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be abolished is death. For He has put all things in subjection under His feet, but when he says all things have been put in subjection, it is evident that he is ex- accepted, expected to put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected one to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. I will be honest with you, um, as I was putting the finishing touches on this message today, um, I just became a tad bit frustrated because it dawned on me that in this text, I only need to teach in one sit- sitting um, Genesis to Revelations. Um, and I thought, you know, that, I'm going to have to talk like really, really fast. Um, and then you're going to have to listen faster. And so it's a little bit difficult when you're looking at this because when we think about the resurrection plan, I am trying my best to crush your image of Easter. Okay, it ain't got nothing to do with little chocolate rabbits. It ain't got nothing to do with little funny eggs that are painted. And I believe that Christianity would put half the emphasis on the resurrection that we did on that other holiday it will change your life because you've got to be honest about what you're saying when you speak of the resurrection. You're talking about a physical bodily resurrection. That's a little complicated. That is a little complicated. I remember when the missionaries were trying to uh, share the gospel with the uh, island nation of Japan at the time, uh, that the... uh, Samurai warriors believed that they would cut the heads off of the missionaries and then they would have riders who would ride the heads to the opposite end of the nation because they believed that these Christians would be resurrected, but if God couldn't get the right head back on the right body, he wouldn't be able to do it. That's a fascinating thought if you think about it. I mean, and, and yet I watch Christians who don't have as much faith as those summarized did. When we think about this, I've broken this thing into three sections. The Redeemer, He is the first fruits, because verse 20 says Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits. and the first fruits means He is the guarantor of God's harvest. Okay, in its context, what's He speaking of? Literal bodily resurrections that God has a harvest. All right. But then there's the redeemed. Who is the redeemed? Well, it's an interesting phrase because he says, but each in his own order, each in his own order. There is a resurrection system, a phasing that takes place. The first part of the resurrection is Christ. You have to have the guarantee the first fruits. Second resurrection. What, now listen, when I say second resurrection, there are two resurrections. But what I mean is the second part of the first resurrection. Are you completely confused yet? I'm trying. All right. The second phase is the church. Is the church. Okay. That time frame in the 70th week of Daniel, that was sort of opaque. Nobody could see it the mystery, Jew and Gentile together in the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Phase three is the resurrection of the tribulation saints. Okay, People who will come to salvation during the seven-year culmination of the ages and they will die for their faith. They will be resurrected. And at that time, just before the beginning of the millennial reign, you'll have the Old Testament saints raised. Okay, and when I talk about raised, I'm talking about a physical, bodily, literal resurrection. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, today, because of the cross of Christ and because of the resurrection of Christ, if a Christian dies, where do they go? Present with the Lord. That is, not, that is not a deep theological thing that you have to go hunt for. Okay? Absent from the body. Present with the Lord. Peter, or Paul said, I would rather go and be with the Lord, but if it be for your sakes, I'll stay here from Philippians. All right? So we got that all squared away. So that is the redeemed, but they will each come in their own order. And then is the second resurrection after the conclusion of the thousand-year millennial kingdom. Okay? And that is the resurrection unto judgment. And all of those who have forsaken Jesus Christ, all of those who have denied Jesus Christ, all of those who have said no to Jesus Christ will be judged eternally for their rejection. Okay? That is the redeemed. Now we move into verse 24, and we're dealing with what I call the restoration. Okay? I really... I guess if I wanted to call it... This is the final impact of the resurrection. All right? And and in verses 24 through the end of or through 28, he basically is telling us that he the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the guarantee of this harvest is taking everything back to where it began. It all goes back. All right, look at verse 24. It says, then comes the end, then the end. Okay? All right, when we see the end or here is the end or this is the conclusion, the the, the end of it, we usually think about a movie, right? You know, it's got the end. And then the lights all come on and we wait for the crowds to go out and then we we go out, all right? Um, The word here is teleos. All right, and it literally means the fulfillment, uh, the the goal, uh, the purpose, uh, the the, uh, the culmination. All right. So when the end culminates, when it all it, it's all coming together, it's boom done. Okay. The, the, when he makes this statement in verse twenty four, understand what he's saying here. There's nothing else after this. The goal has been achieved. It's, when I see this word in the original language, I say this is the thing that God has been pointing to. Now in this text, this is the thing that God was pointing to beginning in Genesis 1.1. And its conclusion, its teleos, its goal. Okay, but what is it? What is the conclusion? What is the goal? What is this, this culmination of the resurrection? This resurrection plan. You, I've seen the Redeemer. I've seen the redeemed, and, and they'll be in their own order, and Jesus is a guarantee that there will be a harvest of resurrection. But what is the end? It's easy. Hands the kingdom over to God and Father. Okay. He delivers the kingdom to God. It's the end. It's, we go right back to God, right where it started. In the beginning, God. In the end, God. I like that. It began where? With God. And it ends where? God. In this beautiful kingdom. Everything goes back to the restoration. This kingdom is given back to God. That's the goal of everything. You have 66 books in your Bible. With one goal. One goal. The whole book. It's one goal. Creation is handed back to God. See, God created paradise that's that garden place okay he created it but paradise was lost paradise was lost the keepers of the garden give it away they give it away God calls paradise back and God made a plan through resurrection to restore paradise that's what it's for the restoration of paradise in the end it will be as it was in the beginning okay and you know what everybody they talk about the streets of gold and the trees that bear fruit multiple times a year and all the rest of it and and, and you got living water running here and you got this there's no sun you know and I've heard guys saying you know what God's glory is so bright there's no shadows and I was like okay (laughs) whatever God gives us Ray-Bans when we all get there. Okay? But you know the thing that always has has baffled me about this conclusion? To this day, it baffles me. And I I still don't... You know, I can tell you what it means theologically. But I I have no idea how it works. In the beginning, in that garden... There was something you know we talk about it, and we always have our visions of the garden of Eden, and, and you know we're running around and, and the animals are all coming up, and they're all your pets, and you think about Snow white and there little birds hanging on your finger, and you didn't see that cartoon it was a few years ago anyway uh but but you you' just you know just frolicking out with the deer and Bambi comes up and you, you know whatever, okay, let me tell you something about the Garden of Eden, no sin. I have no idea what that is. I don't understand that. And the conclusion is what? No sin. He says that he will put all of his enemies, he will abolish all rule, all authority, all power. Authority and power. Do you understand how much authority and how much power sin has? Have you ever thought about that? Sin has an amazing amount of power which manipulates authority. God's reigning. Okay, now I want to show you this because this, they get too many he's in here. Or maybe it's just me. Okay, but I, I read he and he and he and he and who. Okay, let me see if I can really clutter this thing up. All right? The end comes. He, the first he there in 24, is Jesus hands the kingdom, kingdom over to God and Father when he, Jesus, has abolished all rule, all authority, all power. Then, for he, Christ, must reign until he, God, has put all of he, his enemies under his, Christ's feet. Get it? That's good. It only took me six months. Okay? Christ takes this kingdom and Christ subdues all kingdoms. Okay, now, let's be realistic. Look around right now. Okay, and and we struggle with this. Um, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, and once we are saved, the Bible teaches that we are now in his kingdom. Okay, do you feel like it? If we're in his kingdom, why do I keep hearing all these political ads? I'm thinking in his kingdom, they don't vote. Right? Uh, Maybe I'm No. No, it's a monarchy. All right? I don't understand a monarchy. I've been to England, and they got a monarchy, and it seems silly because she don't do nothing right around in a carriage, and we have a whole bunch of big houses. All right? But I share that with you because when we think about this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So right now, we who are truly saved are in whose kingdom? We are in Christ's kingdom. That's why Paul says, but we are like ambassadors. And I would add, we we are ambassadors to a hostile nation. I'm thinking that the, the kingdom that we're in as ambassadors, I don't think the king likes us. And in some cases, He doesn't even tolerate us. But Christ takes this kingdom. He subdues, uh, subdues all other kingdoms. He subdues all rule. He subdues all authority. He subdues all power. Sin is gone. All authority is gone. There's but one authority. He s- establishes, He builds the kingdom, the original way it began in the beginning God in the end God when the end comes now think about this when the end comes so when I I know that the end has come because there's no more kingdoms there are no more rules there are no more authority there are no more powers but Christ and Christ alone all right Everybody with me on that one so far? I didn't even get a yeah. All right. He crushes all of it, and that's the end. He takes the kingdom, and he does what with it? Once he has obliterated all rebellion, what does he do with it? Gives it back to God. It's like nobody wants us. God gave us to Christ, and Christ said, I'll clean it up. And then he says, I don't want to give it back. Hmm. that's the conclusion of everything you will have Christ reigning here okay look at the end of verse 24 when he has abolished all rule all authority and power okay when all of that is taken care of then who's ruling Christ is he puts down all all of it. Okay, you know what that is? There's no sin. All right, so, now listen, this takes a little while. This takes a little while. All right? And and, and I, 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 I'm a little frustrated because this is a great massive text of understanding and I cannot cover it in one message. I thought I could. And then as I started watching my notes come together, I thought, <laughs> right. okay. I don't think I can talk that long. Here's what happens. It's going to take a little while. All right. We had phase one of the resurrection. Remember that? Christ is the first fruits. Okay. Then you have phase two of the resurrection. The church. The church. Okay. Then after that. Okay. Is everybody with me right now? All right now, now people ask me. They say, "Well, why do you believe in the resurrection?" I mean, or not the resurrection. The the rapture of the church. You know, there's nowhere in the Bible that says rapture. No, there's not. But there is caught up, snatched up, stolen, removed, violently. Okay, fine. Okay. Well, why do you believe in the church? Well, four sixteen tells me that in Thessalonians. I don't want to go back through all of that because but but here's the one that, that, that really solidified me. Okay? You've heard this phrase. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Correct? Everybody agree? Okay, turn with me to Revelation five. Revelations 5. Revelations 5, we see Christ begin his work to destroy all the rule, the kingdoms, the authority, and the powers on the planet earth. And this is where it begins, Revelations 5. Okay, here's what it says. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne in a book written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. I began to weep greatly. This is John. Because no one was found worthy to open the book and to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah The root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Stop right there. Okay. This is what is being given to John to write down. Okay. Write this down, and if you go back through history, it's not that hard to find. You'll find that this scroll, written on the front and the back, and it's sealed seven times. And basically, what it would be is you'd have one page, and you'd roll it, and then when that page is done, you'd have second page, and you'd roll. But you'd seal the first page with a seal. Okay, a uh, glob of wax, and you put your ring in it of, of your rulership. And then you'd roll the next one, and you'd seal it, and you'd roll with the next one, and you'd seal it, and you roll the next one, and you'd do that with seven pages. Okay, well, what's he talking about here? It's a title deed. It was used to speak of property. They did this with property in the Roman Empire all the time. The Greeks are the ones who came up with it. They thought it was a great idea, and you seal it, and you seal it, and you seal it. And if it became your title deed, then you had the permission to do what? to open it you can open it and you can see what you own and this this was a a legal document that's the image that has been given to John here on the island of Patmos is that now that he sits on the throne has a deed who is worthy to open the deed Christ is Okay. do you know what Christ does when he takes the deed out of God's hand You know what he does? Opens up seal number one, page one. He opens it up. What's he doing? He is in the process of obliterating all rule, all authority on the kingdom that Adam sold to Satan for just next to nothing. When Adam partook of that fruit, he abdicated all of his responsibility and all of the authority of the kingdom of earth to who? Satan. And it's been in Satan's hands ever since. The resurrection is the first fruits. Christ's literal resurrection is the first fruits of the guaranteed harvest. What is the harvest? Creation the people of creation. I mean, he don't want the planet back. He made the people. Christ now has the ability to do it. Now then, you know, so what's that got to do with the rapture? Let me ask you a question. Do you know what happens? Seal number one. Four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now let me ask you a question. Jesus Christ opens up the deed and the process of obliterating authority and power and rule and kingdoms here on earth. Ask yourself, is that judgment? Is it? But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why would he have his saints exposed why would he have his bride exposed to the four horsemen of the apocalypse? So, and if you're truly honest, if you want to go be technical about it, after chapter four, church is never mentioned again. Okay. So what does that mean? We've been resurrected. And, and, In chapter 5 through chapter 19, God begins, Christ begins, he takes the title, he takes this title deed, he unrolls it, he breaks the seals, and it is him taking back the earth so he can give it back to God the Father. He's removing it violently from the hands of Satan. And then, if you look at it, at the culmination of it, the whole world, under the authority and the power of Satan, decides they're going to whip Jesus. And they meet this massive army in the valley of Megiddo, and they decide, we're going to fight Christ. Come on, fight like a man. And he steps down on a Mount of Olives, he speaks forth, and the blood runs miles and miles and miles and miles deep to the horse's reins because of the arrogance of man they actually think they're going to fight Christ okay you know what that means at the conclusion got it does the authority and the rule and the power understand who I am my right my privilege my power See, that's it. Do you understand that that's what we're in? That's what we're moving to. You go to Genesis and the little issue with the fruit. And it concludes with the bloodbath and the redemption of what is Christ anyway. It takes a while. Chapter 5 through chapter 19. And that's basically what you see there is a two prong one is the res- restoration of Israel to their Messiah the true Messiah okay but you also see Christ placing everything back in its proper position in its proper order he takes the earth back it's mine it's not yours at the end of this, Satan. Now, now listen. At that time, after the Valley of Megiddo. All right, you call it Armageddon. This is a bad translation. It's Har Megiddo. Okay, and it, it's the way. But we just, you know, how we are in America. Let's make it something that sound doesn't sound so Jewish. All right, we'll call it Armageddon. No, that was a movie. Okay, Har Megiddo. Why? Whoopin' button in Megiddo. My translation. Okay, go back to your text. Okay, he will abolish all rule and all authorities and all power. All right, then it says, for he must reign until he puts all the enemies under his feet. Okay, so what happens at this point in time? At the end of this massive battle, Satan is imprisoned. Okay? Now, here's the amazing thing about that seven years. If you look at it, if, you, if you're truly honest with your text, you'll see that there is the tribulation, but then you'll see this thing called the great tribulation or the great travail of Jacob. Okay, And basically what it is, the tribulation time frame is seven years. This great tribulation happens when the Antichrist walks into the temple and claims to be God. Okay, Then becomes the great challenge against The line of Jacob. Listen, I love you guys. I am not of the line of Jacob. All right? Sorry. That would be Israel. So there's three and a half years of pure, I don't even, I can't even describe what will happen. And it's the oppression trying to destroy the people of God, the Jews. Okay? And literally the whole world comes against them. All right? Then there's this great battle. Great battle of Armageddon. Okay? He says he will put all things under his feet. Okay? When you see this here, he put all of his feet, feet, all these enemies under his feet. Okay? It used to be, and at the writing of this letter, uh, that kings, okay, would always be above their subjects. Okay? Now listen, I, I need to, you need to get a visual of this. Okay? It was a death penalty in any kingdom for your head to be above the king's feet. Okay, you got it? So they would have these great big platforms and these great big throne chairs so that the average person who would come in and make eye contact was looking at the bottom of his feet. Why? I am the authority and you will bow before me. That's why you'll see that they will bow when the king comes by. Why? I do not want to be above his feet. Why? He is the great authority. That's the imagery that the Apostle Paul gives us here. He says he has abolished all rule and all authority and he must reign until he puts all of his enemies where? Lower than his feet. Okay? They bow before. it. Listen, Christ will be king. Absolutely. And all others are going to be broken and bowed before him there will be no other authority there will be no other rule there will be no other power at that conclusion and then he sets up what is called the millennial kingdom okay millennial you know what that means 1,000 year kingdom okay now you need to understand in that kingdom there are going to be survivors who come out of the tribulation okay you know what that makes them Mortal. They're mortal. You will literally have a thousand years. Now think about this for a second. People say, well, how can people live for a thousand years? What kills people today? Sin. What has happened during that seven years of tribulation? Has been crushed. Crushed. You will literally, it is possible to think that there will be children born in the millennial kingdom that will have never known the effects of sin. They don't know it. That's an amazing thought. Do you ever think about that? There ain't a person in this room who hasn't known something about effect of sin, right? Who taught your kids to lie? What school did they go to? That is a product of sin. Anybody here have heartache? Boyfriend, girlfriend, loss of a loved one? That is a product of sin. I don't understand that. But they will come through. There will be generation that comes out of the seven-year tribulation that have seen things that you and I can't comprehend. Okay? After the Battle of Megidda, there's a thousand year reign and the whole planet will be ruled by one person. One person. Okay? You know what's really cool about it? He has a whole bunch of co-regions that have oversights. I'm going to get Salina, Kansas. (laughs) I know I will. Don't get me wrong, I'll be happy about it then (laughs) who will rule with him okay now listen I don't want you to get a big head here you're not going to get to be a little bitty God alright because you will be carrying out his will and his orders okay and seeing that that it is done but right after the tribulation he'll have what it all under his feet the whole thing. It's under his feet. Okay? He got a thousand year reign and then he releases Satan for a season. Why? To show the remaining people this is what sin does. This is what. Here's a thousand years of rule under a sinless king. Now think about it. Remember in the Old Testament then people living so long? I mean, you know, 600 years, 900 years, weird stuff like that. Why? The ravages of sin were in the process of what? Growing. Growing. I mean, by the time of the Great Flood, what did the say man did in his heart? Murdered. They feel that there was five billion people on the planet Earth at the time of the Great Flood. Conservative number. And what were they doing? Killing each other. And we act like that's such a strange thing? No. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were in the garden. They understood it. They understood. They, Dad, what was it like, you know, in the cool of the afternoon hanging out with God? You know, people, little rabbit trail people say, well, you know, what do you think? You think Adam was? went to hell? Do you realize what it had been like to live and see the world's population grow and the murder and mayhem that was all around him and he knew that he did it. He lived hell. I cannot imagine to look at the destruction that was around him and say, you know what? <laughs> I did that. woo Okay, people say, well, are you really? Listen, the millennial kingdom is ruled with an iron rod. You understand what that means? That means that there's still going to be some disagreement. It's like uh, when Jesus talked about hell; he says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, I always thought gnashing of teeth meant there was dentists. Okay, see, dentists all go to hell because it says they're weeping and they're gnashing teeth, guys. Okay, but the word—if you take it back to the original language—gnashing of teeth means they're in defiance. They're in defiance. Can you think about that? To get cast into hell, who do you have to look at? Christ. And even when he condemns them, they're defiant against him. After being in his presence? I don't think so. That's crazy stuff right there. So you will see it in the millennial kingdom. But Revelations 20 says, at the conclusion of that kingdom, guess what happens? There are no more enemies. That's the final judgment. That would be what they call the great white throne judgment. For a thousand years, you have an amazing suppression of sin, but sin has not been abolished. It is not until the thousand years is over. Okay, at the end of the thousand-year kingdom. Now, remember, life expectancy is going to grow if sin has been abolished, right? I mean you're going to have no drunk driving? What? You know, cancers are... Everything's going to be suppressed in amazing ways. Okay, but don't get it wrong. Those are still mortal people. Okay, their life expectancy will go up. And then, at the conclusion of that kingdom, what happens? Anybody know? Anybody know? It says, very specific here, the last enemy is destroyed. What would that enemy be? What? So you can see that death still appears where? Through the millennial kingdom. There's a season that Satan comes out and tempts. There's a generation of people or multiple generations of people who will come out and never have known sin. They might have a little rebellious thing on their hearts. You know, it's like the little kid. You know, go stand in the corner until you get it fixed. I'm going to stand in the corner, but my heart, I'm still breaking the law. And I'll deal with that next week. So do you see what I'm trying to get at when you think about the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the first fruits of a massive harvest for what for the resurrection or for the restoration of people, we will be restored to pre garden of Eden have you heard you where do you get the new heaven and the new earth? What is that? Well, it would be a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because it is the complete, utter, radi- removal, radical removal—radical removal of sin. It is a non-existent entity because the final enemy has been destroyed. Who's the final enemy? Sin. So you see how this works? You know, this is one of the things when I, people get into eschatology. That's the study of the end times. I've been studying Ezekiel. I've been studying Daniel. I looked at 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. I looked at Revelations and 24 and 25 of Matthew. I've got it all figured out. What do you do with 1 Corinthians 15? What? Yeah, because if you don't roll 1 Corinthians 15 in here, you're going to get a crooked spot. All right, because the wording here is very specific. Then the end will come, then the completion will come, then the abundance will come. But then, but you, he lays it out for you and says that everything's going to be put under his feet. Okay, everybody's going to be in subjection. But you see that Jesus taught that he will rule with the what? Rod of iron. You know what that means, right? Listen, if you have everybody standing in resurrected bodies, purely, holy, and pure, you do not need a rod of iron. Because if you look at, it, he says, what? Then God will be all in all. If God is all in all, you do not rule with a rod of iron. All right, so you see how it kind of all comes together? I hope I just didn't... Everybody said, oh, I had it all figured out until I walked in here today. Anyway, well, I'm just going to go back to being pan trib, you know, all paying out. But then I have to say, you know what? My Bible says in that very letter, blessed is he who hears and does the things of this book. And I'm, I'm kind of into the blessing thing next week we'll look at it because I want to show you the conclusion of the last enemy the last enemy let's pray Father thank you for your word thank you for uh, for comforting us Father for overwhelming us Father for counseling us Father for drawing us near in all times Father thank you that in your power in Your majesty and in Your mercy and in Your love, You penned these words so that Your people would rest. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Help us, Father. Things are so amazing these days. Father, I've, uh, You just watch the news and you, you stand in almost horror. And yet, Father, our hope is where? Your kingdom. Your righteousness. And Father, even in that, all things are added to us. Help us, Father. Help us to live lives in resurrection power. Help us to live in the hope of the eternal. Help us to live to Your glory, to Your praise in a manner worthy of what You have lavished upon us. In Christ's name.